Mr. Clerk and Mr. Manager. All right. Uh, good evening, Mayor, members of Council. Uh, I'll talk you through the agenda for a second, and uh, then we'll just uh, get things rolling. I'm going to start this evening in a couple of minutes with a presentation from the Army Corps of Engineers, and certainly pleased to have uh, Colonel Kelly and Sir Connor. Uh, they're going to talk to us about Norfolk's Coastal uh, Storm Risk Management Study. So um, you all heard about it in the past. You had some of this in your packets and giving us an update as they get ready to um, walk into some uh, public engagement, public uh, uh, hearings. Um, and then Thelma Drake and uh, Peter Garner are going to come up and talk about um, some of the things that are going on in public works and the Travel with Care program. And then we'll go into closed session and we've got a real estate matter and a couple of legal matters. And, um, if we finish that, we may come back out and do a, a, a pop-up or two, but uh, we may go straight into session depending on uh, where we stand. Before we start that, I'd like to make two, uh, two or three quick um, personnel uh, announcements just because we're here. I'd ask, I'm, I'm pleased that, uh, to let you, I've let council know this in an email, but since we're here together, I want to introduce uh, Marva Smith, who is our new uh, Human Resources Director. And Marva is on day two. Um, So Marva joins our team after working uh, with a number of companies, uh, Fortune 200 company, a real estate and investment management firm that's here in the market. Um, she had a, uh, prior to that career, uh, was with the, uh, served our country at, uh, in the Air Force as a special agent, um, and where she investigated federal criminal fraud and counterintelligence allegations. And I got to tell you, we are, we're thrilled to have her here. Maybe the best part of her resume is uh, she's been a Norfolk resident for the past 15 years. Um, so we're uh, certainly pleased to have her here. Uh, and same, also her two great kids. Yeah. All right, there you go. Um, and um, I've got to acknowledge Juanita Cribs. I don't think Juanita is up here, but Juanita, you all remember in December, we were, we were pretty shorthanded and we had, um, uh, did not have an assistant director in HR and uh, Capri Stanley left as the HR director and uh, Juanita who was not interested in being the uh, the director uh, stepped in as an interim, and uh, you all know I have a sweet spot in my heart for interims. Smith. <laughs> I think Juanita's. Oh, is she here? Hey, there she is. All right, so Juanita, I got to tell you, in front of everybody, can I thank you enough for stepping into that role? <laughs> I think you all know, but it's worth saying that uh, Andrew Fox joined uh, the HR department <clears throat> as the um, assistant director 30 or 40 days ago and has been and really hit the ground running. And um, those of you that have been here a little longer will remember that he was actually at Bernard's shop years ago and then has been working in the uh, uh, city of Chesapeake and uh, but lived in Norfolk the entire time. And we're, we're thrilled to have him back and uh, playing that role. So we're feeling really good about the HR and the staffing down there. And I'm pleased to have him. Said Andrew Fox. Andrew Fox. Uh, and, uh, and Andy goes by Andy as well. Um, and then the last thing I would tell you, and you may hear from her if we have time, is um, Nikki Reddick, who um, many of you know, who's been in the organization for um, a significant amount of time and played a lot of roles from an assistant to the city manager to uh, assistant over in uh, general services. And, um, uh, and we've taken her a little bit out of her comfort zone and, and put her in as the interim director or actually is the interim uh, chief marketing officer, CMO, and down the fourth floor. And, uh, and so I appreciate you letting me uh, acknowledge those folks. Uh, so with that, I'd like to ask Christine Morris to step up and introduce uh, Colonel Kelly and Susan Conner. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor, uh, members of council, city manager. Um, uh, under your leadership, the city continues to partner with organizations to help us figure out our 
coastal flood and flooding issues, um, the HUD National Disaster Resilience Competition grant, um, working with the Navy in Virginia Beach and the Joint Land Use Study, and working with the Army Corps on the coastal, uh, the citywide coastal risk management study. Uh, that's the so-called three by three by three study <coughs> that you've heard so much about. It's been underway since February of 2016, and the study will be completed in January of 2019, uh, with the Chief's report being issued by the Army Corps. And that will have recommendations on the best measures to reduce the risk, the city's risk to the impact of coastal floods. So the next milestone we have coming up is the tentatively selected plan. And the Army Corps and the city are going to host a public meeting on June 8th at Lambert's Point Community Center from 6 to 8 uh, to get feed public feedback on the measures still under consideration in this study. So I have the honor of introducing Colonel Kelly and Chief uh, Planning Officer Susan Connors. Uh, and they're going to give you an update on where we are in the study. So thank you so much. Thank you, Christine. <clears throat> Mr. Mayor, members of the council, uh, in conjunction with our district chief of planning, Susan Connor, uh, my goal this evening is to share. Uh, I want to provide an update as to where we are in the study, communicate what's been done to date, uh, to ensure all are aware of our upcoming public meeting that was just mentioned uh, at the Lambert's Point Community Center on the 8th of June. And perhaps most important, convey that everything you'll hear this evening, and I'm going to say this again a little bit later, is preliminary, uh, pre-decisional, and subject to public feedback, which I think is very important because everything we do is collaborative. Everything we do ought to be transparent and understood by all so that we can arrive at a good solution, for that is our uh, intent uh, in this study. <clears throat> it's important uh, that I convey we aren't studying for the sake of study. Uh, we are, without doubt, not admiring the problem. Uh, our goal and, and that of the study is to obtain a construction authorization from Congress, which, if funded, could lead to a project that's constructed with 65% federal funding. Uh, this is the only way to get to the Civil Works dollars. Uh, it's important that I note that this authorization does not guarantee funding. Uh, there are a limited number of new starts that are authorized annually uh, by uh, Congress, <clears throat> but creativity is authorized and encouraged. Uh, the city will have options uh, to use the engineering and analysis uh, that is completed during this study to pursue other public-private uh, partnerships and, and, quite frankly, to get creative. And quite some time ago, we hosted uh, members of the Office of Management and Budget, and this was very much a, a integral piece of, of what we discussed during that visit, and I was able to highlight uh, the great partner that the city of Norfolk has been. I was able to highlight that so much of what we're doing is really in addition to much that the city has already started to do uh, on its own, and that was very well received uh, by those during that visit. There exists uh, regional implications uh, 
water knows no boundary. Uh, I, I live in Norfolk, uh, and, and I readily admit that this is, this is bigger than us. We are certainly first out of the gate. Uh, there are other localities that are now interested uh, in similar studies. And what we're doing here is foundational. What we're doing, foundational not just for this region, but I would argue nationally. Uh, I, I would argue that what we're doing and the steps that the city has taken are being monitored, are being watched uh, by other locales. Uh, more than a year ago, I went to Miami and spoke, and I was able to brag on some of the things that the city of Norfolk is doing. And it's as a good federal partner, some of the things that I think we're going to be able to do that will be, I believe, transformational in terms of the way uh, we view future <coughs> projects and as we investigate coastal storm uh, risk management, coastal storm preparedness, recurrent flooding, uh, and, and subsidence, which all are at play uh, here. I am uh, very competitive and, and happy to report that uh, this was first. And when I think about some of the things that are offshoot of the North Atlantic Coast Comprehensive Study, uh, again, what we're doing, I believe, will be foundational for future studies that will soon commence. It's worth noting that uh, this study has greatly benefited uh, from all the work the city has already done, as previously mentioned. And, and that work has allowed us to move faster, to operate more effectively, to be more efficient uh, than would have otherwise been possible. The Army Corps does not uh, design to a certain level. And in conjunction and through conversation uh, with the city staff, there's been a, a request made by the staff that our analysis include a review of protection based on a 100-year event as defined by FEMA. We're going to take that on. We're going to do that. It is, however, important uh, that all understand that as we do that, the results, uh, I believe, will, again, potentially provide the foundation for what may end up being a locally preferred plan uh, because our goal is to reasonably maximize uh, net economic development. And so it becomes a matter of, of, of benefits and costs, but in addition to those benefits and costs, we're going to, as a team, collectively consider issues such as life safety, aspects of the alternatives, uh, risk reduction for historic structures, protecting low-income areas of the city, and environmental impacts as part of the plan selection process. As you might expect in the federal undertaking, uh, there's a process that we're following. Uh, this process uh, has several important milestones that our vertical chain uses really to check our work, really to see whether or not we're on track for completion and ultimately a chief's report which is really that document that permits access and, and that construction uh, authorization, those construction dollars. We've satisfied the alternatives milestone uh, in October of last year. Uh, we've also provided a range of alternatives that we're considering. Uh, and we communicated uh, our path to achieving a tentatively selected plan. I want to highlight here that <coughs> there are many future public input opportunities uh, highlighted on this slide uh, with the star. The first of which will be late 2017 uh, when the draft uh, 
environmental impact statement will be released for public review. And then again in late 2018 when the final environmental impact statement is released. But we have on our website uh, the means by which feedback can continuously be provided and received, and we want that for the best available information is on which we want to make decisions and recommendations. And uh, I'm really excited about the meeting we're going to have on June 8th to engage the public. But forums like this are also important to us because I think that as those in the city engage you, I want you to know as much about where we are, what we're doing, and what's next. And so our doors are always open. And should there be a desire for uh, a separate session, I'm happy to do that. And I know that our planning staff will certainly provide that uh, for you as well. So the management measures that are currently under consideration can really be divided into three categories, first of which is structural. And this is perhaps the one that you're most familiar with uh, for it's how we modify uh, a floodplain. It's really changing what's happening with the water. Second uh, are non-structural measures. Uh, and, and that modifies the risk, but doesn't really modify the flood. There is no change in what's happening with the water uh, with the non-structural measures. And then, uh, as of late, and, and, and really uh, something that I'm particularly interested in because I think that it, it makes use of nature and that is the natural and nature-based uh, options which includes wetlands, living shorelines, etc. And, and they're not included really on, on this graphic but they're certainly being considered uh, in this study. Some of the named features, uh, for example, flood insurance and flood warning are, are not Army Corps uh, action items but they too are being considered uh, in the process. Uh, before I transition to Susan uh, and we get a bit more specific, uh, I, I want to leave you with uh, this disclaimer. Everything you're about to hear is pre-decisional, not final. We've made no decisions. Uh, I am seeking your input. I'm seeking the input of all that live and will certainly uh, be the... Uh, recipients of what I believe is good work being performed, but uh, I, I want you to know that these are things that we're sharing now that we're thinking about, uh, and we can only make them better, I think, with your input, and I think it's very important that today, if uh, you forget everything else that I've said, uh, please know that your input is desired and we have a means by which to receive that and happy to get it. With that, I'll transition to Susan, uh, and we'll certainly field some questions when she Good evening. Again, I'm Susan Connor, Chief of Planning for the Norfolk District Army Corps. Um, and what I'm going to do is go ahead and go through some more details. Uh, Colonel Kelly has talked to you generally about the study, the place we are in the study. I am going to talk more specifically about these measures that we've discussed and kind of where we are suggesting those for potential implementation in the city. Uh, before I dive into that, I, I did want to reiterate uh, a great thanks to the city staff that has worked on this. Um, we have been working sometimes on a daily basis, definitely on a weekly basis, um, uh, with the <laughs> Office of Resilience, um, particularly Christine and Katerina and Scott and Kyle, some of those folks in the Resilience Office. It is um, a joy to work with 
uh, folks that are so proactive and engaged in the study. That's not always the case for us, so we really appreciate that staff engagement. So just wanted to talk about, I'm about to show some maps of the city and some proposed measures um, that we are suggesting. Um, wanted to make sure that everybody understood the language we were using. So up on the top left graphic, that storm surge barrier in New Orleans, there are several areas in the city where we are proposing storm surge barriers. Those are permanent structures across waterways. Um, for most of the time, they would have gates where water can flow through. They would also have a large gate where there are uh, navigation channels so boats can go through. So um, for uh, most of these storm surge barrier, for all the storm surge barriers, there would continue to be water flow except for when a large event came and then the gates would close. Um, the flood wall shown here, a flood wall in Norfolk, that is a, again, a permanent structure, generally a concrete structure. There are some places along flood walls where there are openings such as intersections. Um, again, those would be closed when a large event came. So talking about a, a strong tidal event or a storm event, um, otherwise, that is a concrete structure that remains there. Finally, under our large structural measures are levees or earthen berms, one shown here, the bottom graphic. Um, there is not a lot of places in the city of Norfolk where we can propose those, but where we can, we have, because those are more natural-looking features. They're generally more cost-effective, but they take more space. So there's only limited places where we have been able to propose that feature. So I'm going to walk through in more detail, but just to give you a general overview of the city of Norfolk and what's being proposed, the red lines on here are flood walls. So those are those permanent concrete structures, um, but they, that may entail some openings that would close when we have large events. The green lines, which are most prominent, you can see best here across the Lafayette, um, those are storm surge barriers. And again, there, there is uh, Pretty Lake, The Hague, and Broad Creek all have those storm surge barriers. Um, and uh, then also along the, the top, it's kind of hard to see, but another, we also have uh, beach nourishment in dunes. Um, that's something along the northern um, beach area that's being proposed. So those are the structural measures that we'll discuss. Also non-structural measures. Um, by far the most prevalent non-structural measure that is being recommended and that is likely to be implemented is elevation. I think most everyone is familiar with that, raising a structure out of the floodplain. Um, but did want to mention some other ones that, that are potential non-residential flood proofing. That is primarily for buildings like commercial buildings. Maybe they're higher. You're not going to elevate them. But there are measures that we can take to keep the water out, such as closing entranceways or, or uh, um, waterproofing them when an event is coming. And then acquisition is another strategy. Um, I know that's one that uh, sometimes is, is not uh, well-liked. It is something under policy um, that we do have to consider. Um, however, it is not, it is generally a voluntary program, so it's not generally something where we come in and, and force acquisition. It's something that would only be done if the city were interested in it, um, and it's generally not easily cost justified. So most structures are not um, viable for acquisition because the cost benefit doesn't work there. So when we look through the maps, the non-structural measures will be shown with a purple hatching. I'm not going to continue to reiterate on each slide where there's non-structural, <coughs> just if everybody can keep the context that anywhere where there's purple is potential non-structural. Those non-structural usually, they can be done um, uh, with the structural measures. Sometimes they're done complementary to the structural measures, or sometimes if the structural measure is implemented, it means that the non-structural would not be needed. So now I'm going to go around the city, kind of starting in the, the northeast area um, at the Pretty Lake. 
um, northeast area of the city. So pretty like the measure that we are recommending here is a storm surge barrier right along uh, Shore Drive. So you can see it right, it's really hard to see, but this, there's a little blue mark right there. That would have flood walls to the north and south that tie into that storm surge barrier. And then as I mentioned before, a potential non-structural that would work complementary to that storm surge barrier. So Lake Whitehurst, this is a backup drinking water reservoir for the city of Norfolk. Um, what is being proposed here and what we're talking about is actually this little area over here, this little pink, and it would be raising the spillway and dam to prevent saltwater intrusion. So this is a little bit different than most of the other measures. This is actually keeping saltwater out of this backup drinking reservoir. Pump stations would mostly be required with most of these dams and spillways. So um, that is a, is a given with most of these structural measures. You also have to have pumps to keep the interior drainage appropriate. So next, Moores Bridges Water Treatment Plant. I wanted to set this in here as an example of a critical infrastructure. Um, things defined by the Corps as, as um, more important to keep functional during a large storm event. Um, these, we actually have a higher level of risk reduction we're trying to provide. We try to protect these to the 500-year event. Um, so there is other critical infrastructure in the city of Norfolk. As we're still <coughs> moving along this study, we haven't identified everything that, um, that would be uh, qualify as critical infrastructure, so there may be others, but this Moore's um, Bridges Water Treatment Plant is one that we have identified. The type of um, measure we would do to protect this is we consider it a non-structural and it would include flood wall adjacent to the plant um, tying into high ground. So basically building a flood wall right around that plant to protect that um, critical infrastructure so it could remain functional for the city. So moving up to Ocean View and Willoughby, in this area, um, as many of you probably know, we just finished placing sand on Willoughby last week that um, contract was completed. Um, this would look that this is a measure in addition to that sand placement. We would look to see if either further beach widening or beach dunes would be helpful in protecting that area of the city. So this would be in addition to the sand placement that we already do, would be to see if we would go wider or higher along that Ocean View and Willoughby beach dunes. So Mason Creek, uh, this is a measure that is primarily, that we have the Mason Creek community, but the measures that we're considering here are either on or adjacent to Naval Station Norfolk. Um, this is a good time to mention that we work very closely with both the U.S. Navy and the U.S. Coast Guard um, on this project to make sure that everything that we're recommending is complementary to their ongoing operations. And if we can um, provide benefits um, to the Navy as well as the city, we try to do that. Um, in this case, uh, we have two different areas to keep flooding because flood water generally runs through Willoughby Bay over here and into this area. So we have a measure right here to keep water back, a flood wall, and another potential measure right here. Um, as we've worked with the Navy, this measure is right adjacent to their, um, their flight path. So uh, a berm here is likely not going to work because it doesn't work with the naval operations. Wanted to put that in there as something that hasn't totally been screened out yet, but it looks like that's not something we're going to be able to do. However, this is a measure here that we are continuing to consider to see if we can water, keep the water back there. That is something that we would do um, in consultation with the Navy, um, and they, they have been uh, uh, willing and happy to look at that feature with us. So Lafayette Storm Surge Barrier, um, this is uh, probably the, the largest feature that we are considering. We currently have three separate configurations. So what will eventually move through this process 
um, to get to kind of the final analysis is one of those configurations of a storm surge barrier across the Lafayette. As already mentioned, it's a permanent structure, but water would continue to move through, and there would be a gate for the navigation channel. So it would still keep this waterway open to boat, tra boat traffic. And just to describe the three configurations, so the outer, what we call the outermost is um, right here. So basically NIT to Lambert's Point, so that's the, the longest storm surge barrier and really goes straight down north to south there. We have the middle barrier, which is NIT to Larchmont right here. This one would have a adjoining flood wall that um, goes, extends down the Larchmont coast to Lambert's Point. So that would be, if we built this storm surge barrier, you would also have to have this flood wall to provide the appropriate protection to that neighborhood. The innermost storm surge barrier is along Hampton Boulevard, right at the Hampton Boulevard Bridge. Um, that is the shortest storm surge barrier, but it has a lot of um, needed infrastructure to go along with it. Flood walls would be needed here along Hampton Boulevard, and those would be concrete flood walls that would run down the median of Hampton Boulevard. Um, so some implications of that is it would disrupt traffic patterns. There's lots of different ways that we're not to a point of design yet where we could say exactly how you could close down intersections, you could keep them open and have flood walls that open and close. So, but that is, that um, potential measure does have those um, flood walls needed down Hampton Boulevard. And with all of these storm surge barriers, I will say it's not, it's not, it's primarily cost benefits, but we're also looking at environmental considerations, aesthetic consider, um, considerations, how it looks. Um, that traffic movement, and there's a lot of historic structures in the city of Norfolk, so we're very aware of that and doing what we can when we consider this to, to best protect those historic structures with, without causing negative impact. And this is just a closer view of those storm surge barriers and kind of worth pointing out. So this is where the Federal Navigation Channel is. I'm not sure if you can see the, the pointer here, but so that, that would be the larger gate that would open and close. Um, and in this, in this um, storm surge barrier, you would just have kind of the, it would be similar to the existing openings would continue to be open most of the time. And the, the type of event, the, these storm surge barriers, um, the type of events we're looking at for closure right now, we might only be talking about once a year or once every two years, these structures are closed. We're not talking about a daily or weekly basis because the frequency and intensity of events are, are forecast to increase in the future. When you look 25 or 50 years from now, these would probably be closing more. We do not net yet know how much more, but maybe it's closing a few times a year instead of right now where it might be closing every year or every other year. So the Hague um, is another area where um, we are looking at storm surge barriers. The Hague is the only area where we're actually looking at a comparison of a storm surge barrier, as we've already described, or a permanent flood wall where, right at Brambleton Avenue to permanently close the Hague off from the Elizabeth River. So that those are different options that we're considering. This is one area where we're talking to the Coast Guard to see, you know, their usage of the Hague, um, talking to the neighborhood, so that this is um, some options here. Also, um, wanted to point out that uh, the Stockley Gardens um, area over here, we're also trying to incorporate some greening of areas to deal with stormwater drainage that would either be caused, say, if we did close off the Hague and we had additional interior stormwater drainage that we had to deal with. Um, obviously, we would need pump stations, but seeing what we can do with more natural infrastructure in that area to deal with that. It's the light blue line. I can't read the key. There's light blue lines that run 
Um, I believe that's just the difference in our areas. Um, Okay. Just, okay. Yeah. It does. It does not. Um, it's not a measure that we're okay. proposing. It's actually kind of a background part of the map. Gotcha. So downtown in Chesterfield Heights, um, this area there is an existing flood wall in the city of Norfolk. We'd be looking at potentially raising that flood wall. That um, level of detail hasn't been determined yet, but definitely looking at um, additional flood wall through all of this area where the red is. Um, so, and, and definitely um, this is one area where we're trying to incorporate uh, uh, earthen berm, um, particularly right around Harbor Park. If we, there is enough area there that we can do an earthen berm. Uh, that also is kind of complementary to the Vision 2100 that the city planning is doing to try and make some more walkable green neighborhood areas. So trying to incorporate that where we can here. And this is so that you can see right here, this area, this kind of pinkish color right there is where we would try the earthen berm area. So Campus Stella Berkeley here, we're looking south of the river, and this really is a flood wall in these areas. And kind of zooming in a little bit, you can see better here where the flood walls would tie in where um, we're needed along there. So Broad Creek, uh, this is the last storm surge barrier right here along 264. There would be a storm surge barrier that, again, would operate similar to the others I've described. Um, and uh, also interior drainage would need it be needed in this area in the, um, in the form of pump stations. This is a more obviously zoomed into 264 and what, we would, what a storm surge barrier would look like along there. And the flood walls adjacent. So that takes you through the major measures that we're considering right now. Um, the way that we will look at this, we've already kind of talked about benefit-cost analysis, um, and we will we will look at um, really look how the structural and the non-structural uh, how they compare in cost benefits, and most likely we'll end up with some type of alternative that has some of both. So that'll have some structural measures, those that are justified, but then it'll also have a large amount of non-structural for those other areas. So we kind of already talked about to get to the chief's report in January 2019. I did want to reemphasize those other things that would be needed past that. We would then be looking, once we send a chief's report to Congress, we would be looking for a congressional authorization for construction. Generally receive those in WARDA, or Water Resource Development Act, which have been about every two years. Um, and then we wait, assuming we get that construction authorization, we wait for appropriations and local funding and a timing when those things, both the local funding and desire to do the project and the federal funding come together to move forward on a construction project. So that concludes our presentation. I wanted to thank you for the opportunity to present and the opportunity to partner on this exciting study. Um, certainly welcome to any of your questions. Uh, Andrea. Andrea. First of all, thank you. I think this is a, um, a great project. Uh, just to set expectations mm -hmm. in terms of where we are. There's a cheese report, we talked about appropriations. The actual, in the best case scenario, um, the reality of when we could actually put shovels in the ground or pumps in the water, um, eight to 10 years? 
So, yeah, so generally we say not sooner than 10 years. Uh, the one exception, um, which we never want to happen, but that, that does happen is, is if we do get this authorized and then an extreme event comes through the area, think of Sandy, New York, New Jersey, they got a large amount of funding directly following that. So that would be the one exception that we would not count on, but just acknowledge as a possibility. I think if I could just add, that, that is very true, that the process and that entire piece from Chief's report to ultimately getting to the funding the normal way. And, and what Susan just referenced is something that certainly within the North Atlantic Division, uh, we've seen that play through Sandy. Um, we don't want to have that happen, but this study puts projects on the shelf so that should money come available, we have an authorized project that could then be funded. I think that's a very important piece of the importance of the study that is sometimes lost, that it, absent the study, even with an extreme event, you could not get uh, to the project that you know uh, should be funded and needs to take place. So I, I think it's a, a very key component of what we're talking about. Okay. Tommy? And, and that kind of goes along with my question. So Senators Kane and Warner as well as uh, Congressman Scott just recently announced a budget initiative to kind of have a competition for infrastructure. Um, and then also with con Congress uh, and the President's budget proposal, there may be more uh, emphasis on infrastructure across the country. So you said we were the first to do this. So that has to put us ahead of other localities that if congressional funding comes faster um, than this, that our deadlines are pretty much in line to when that funding may become available if they're doing a two-year budget, I think is what they normally do. I think I certainly yield Susan too, because I think that there's a, a study in Texas that's close in terms mm -hmm. of timeline Coastal of Texas. where we are. Yeah, and, and then um, to, to, the, to your point, I think yes, but it would still be that authorization. I think that it goes back to what Councilman McClellan asked or, or commented on, perhaps if they were to expedite that being ready is the completion in the Chief's report. So really us staying on task to make that possible, it's most important that that slide that showed the gates we have to hit with the milestones. And so for me, uh, my goal is to stay within the three years and to keep us on budget and on task to make that even possible. So I, I guess in theory, yes. But it's my understanding that much of that infrastructure is really about some of that creativity that I talked about, the public-private partnerships. And so I think that that's really where that's going. I don't know how much of that will truly be, you know, federal cost share because I think as you get to that, you move right back into that longer term. Sure. Okay. Dr. Wibley. Um, thank you so much. This is great and long-awaited. Um, when we met with you <clears throat> maybe a year ago, you emphasized at that time something that I think is really important for and you know maybe to get some more support that with this type of plan that we have we're on the front end of this versus what FEMA has done before which has been fund after a disaster and what did you tell me that we could save like a third or what was the there was some pretty remarkable quote that if you prevented a problem that we save quite a bit of money versus coming in and fixing so I don't know that quote unless Michelle. Christine, was there? See, I think a dollar invested is like four dollars or eight, so it's four times as much you save. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I just think that's so important for us to know and to emphasize and, and to, you know, uh, because we're one of the leaders in getting this going, 
which, you know, everybody's interested in not only saving the area, but to saving some money. And it just makes so much more sense for us to do it that way. So I, whatever we can do to get Kane and Warner and everybody else to make that message to uh, whatever House of Congress it is, it's really important. Anyway, I love this. And then I'm just going to say one other tiny thing. I hear all the time, and I know all of you all do too, how come we're not doing anything about flooding? I mean, I hear it all the time from people that are reasonably well-informed and keeping up with things. And so whatever we can do to really get this message out, I think is really important for our citizens to see and to um, pat ourselves on the back. Because, I mean, we really are in the forefront on this, and so many people are not aware of that. I know it's frustrating because it's 10 years away or, or whatever, but... <coughs> We're, at least it's not 15 and 20, which it is in some localities. So um, whatever we can do as a city to get that message out. You know, I know we've got billboards planned this year, but we could do some other billboards too, or whatever. Mr. Mayor, I think Mr. Jim Reddick had something that you wanted to, to add to it, sir. No, it, the quote was, every dollar spent would save you four in recovery funds. That's yeah. all. Michelle, Michelle had it on that. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. All right, so thank you very much. Um, maybe other questions, Andrea? I, I just want to make a, a comment that what we're talking about here is basically related to tidal flooding. Um, and, and a lot of what we see in terms of flooded roads in Norfolk, I just want to reiterate, storm. some, some stormwater. And while this will help our stormwater outfalls um, and clearing the path, we still have a very um, old infrastructure in the city, and that stormwater is also a huge piece of the puzzle, too. So while, let's say this does get funded, we still have an issue of stormwater systems that are outdated in the city that we're also going to have to address. And I know that that's something that we're working on, but just keep, we've got two issues here. Title and stormwater, big rain events. Very good point. Colonel, one of the comments I wanted to make um, as we look at the authorization, uh, the federal authorization and the funding or the appropriations, you and I both know some t there's usually a lag or delay. But if the plan is, is, is authorized, <clears throat> we can continue to provide uh, support and also uh, pressure on our federal delegation for the appropriations. One of the things that we're going to have to um, uh, keep in mind is the local funding, uh, our portion, our share, and the private-public partnership, as well as looking at some philanthropic uh, dollars as well to help address, uh, you know, our end of, uh, of the project. So, if if we know, you know, what the dollar amount is today, of course, build inflation because it's probably happened down the road but I do agree that every dollar that we spend uh, in prevention uh, we save four to, to to recover or to build uh, uh, you know, contingencies uh, building redundancies so you know we have a plan A a plan B and um, build resilience so thank you very much any other questions Mr. Riddick you want to add? All right. I would just ask maybe you repeat the date and time for the public hearing one more time. Okay. Uh, public hearing June 8th, uh, Lambert's Point Community Center on June 8th, and uh, really excited about that. I mean, we had quite a few folks come out to our last, uh, uh, was it the 
The last public meeting. Colonel, can you announce the time as well? Six to eight p.m. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you both. Thank you all. Thank you very much. Mr. Manager, what's next? Uh, thank you, Mayor. Uh, our next, uh, uh, we're going to have uh, Thelma Drake, Assistant Director of Transportation, and Peter Garner, our Operations Engineer, Engineering Manager, come up and do a presentation uh, we're calling uh, Travel with Care. Thank you, Mr. Manager, Mr. Mayor. Thank you. Um, and good evening, everyone. It's good to be here to tell you what the Transportation Department is doing. But first, I really want to point out to you that Norfolk is the most multimodal city in the Commonwealth, and I think that, that we're very, very proud of that. And um, um, just want to make sure that you know that our number one goal as we work is public safety. <coughs> there are several major – wait a minute, am I doing it wrong? There. Um, these are the things that we deal with in the Transportation Department and several major transportation projects that we're currently working on. First, of course, is the Hampton Roads Bridge Tunnel. Uh, this project will, will have a record of decision this summer. At that point, it will go into design and engineering with construction to begin in 2019 and for it to be completed in 2024. Next is already under construction, phase one of the 64-264 interchange. I'm sure that you've seen that. Phase two is Newtown Road and Witch Duck Road. There is a phase three that we never talk about. It's got $10 million in it for design, and it's actually in Norfolk. It's in the Northampton Boulevard to 264 corridor, which is one of the highest accident sites. So I like to remind people that that is actually um, already funded for design. This, you all know, is almost complete. It'll be completed next summer. The um, benefit, of course, is that direct connection to the port and to the base, and the goal of reducing the number of trucks on Hampton Boulevard. This is another one, well under construction, will be completed next summer as well, our continuous flow intersection, first of its type, in the Commonwealth. And what it will do is make it safer, uh, less congested roadway. There will be sidewalks in this corridor as well. This isn't the video that the mayor showed, but the mayor did a very good job of showing us at the luncheon how that worked. But you can see from the green lines how everyone moves at the same time. It's another very important improvement that we're doing. These new ramps, they're not new ramps, they're, it's new the way it connects into Northampton Boulevard in that they're, both traffic lights will have um, handle the traffic flow in both directions. So you won't come off the one from Norfolk and only be able to go east. You'll be able to go east or west. Same thing in the other ramp, and it'll allow you to move over to get into the outlet mall. This one will give you better access to Ikea and to the city of Norfolk. Pedestrian safety has been a huge topic for us right now. Uh, this is federal funded money for pedestrian countdowns. Um, we also have state funding for these ADA ramps this is a multi-year project. We're in year three. Uh, both projects, of course, make things safer for pedestrians. These are two that we're waiting on CTB to act in June. Uh, they're smart scale funded for fiscal 2022. Both of them, of course, add extra lanes um, for those intersections for, to reduce traffic congestion and, again, do pedestrian improvement. Zero local match. We also have $7.8 million that we're using for citywide pedestrian safety. 
the important thing here is that we're beginning the study and the community engagement process on where these pedestrian improvements are going to go, and we'll have those recommendations to you next spring, <laughs> next summer. Bike lanes, we've talked a lot about recently, and you are very familiar with our loop. Certainly the Elizabeth River Trail has been a key component for the city of Norfolk. We're also working on bike share, and as we resurface streets, which you'll hear from Pete, we do incorporate into that uh, any plans we can do with uh, our bike plan. Just some examples of the treatments that have been used in different areas of city. And one thing that happens is the more protected the lane is, the more that that bike lane is used because people feel safer, they feel safer having their children's, children on that. Um, some examples of intersections and bridges that we're currently working on. Uh, the really big one, I think, is the Tidewater Drive, West Ocean View intersection where you'll have an at-grade intersection there. Um, we have started community involvement on that and it is fully funded through revenue sharing. Granby and Bayview, that's going to be a lot of work done in there on traffic signals, pedestrian signals, new street lighting, uh, make it ADA compliant, better signage, and different pavement markings that will take place in there. These are both fully funded as well, different types of funding, but <coughs> both fully funded with no local match. Virginia Beach Boulevard and Newtown Road, that's going to increase capacity, give you additional turn lanes, and three lanes leading into Norfolk. And Chesapeake and Cromwell will be some um, traffic signal improvements and improved signal visibility. Granby Street, this is a major overhaul of this bridge uh, for maintenance purposes and to extend the life of that bridge. Um, Neon District, we've gotten the bids in on this. And um, it's new traffic signals, and this is the brick crosswalk that has been proposed. Another big issue for the division, and this is ongoing multi-year work that's taking place. It's 100% funded with federal money, but um, targeted signal retiming to reduce congestion. Our central management software signal system with a video wall. We also will be able to connect like remotely with the emergency operations center. Um, and replacing our traffic controller system. That video wall component of it is almost done. Uh, in regards to our light rail, we are started the study now. Uh, public comment is going on at the same time. Important, so this will be studied for this year to see if there is a west side alternative and that HRT provides 15 million rides a year. I don't think that people realize that. These are both of our studies this year and then for years two and three to look at the east side as well as any west side alternative to see what, um, what might be the best alternative to move people to the naval base. So Pete's going to come up and talk about his component. Pete is probably behind me. So. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Certainly. Come on, so man. One thing I noticed that uh, traffic going north to south it only, it, it's very congested on Tidewater Drive. Yes. Uh, coming from, you know, off of the Berkeley Bridge all the way down, I guess, to where you're going to the underpass, well, all the way down yes. to Low Creek Road yes. and coming back. And the only other north-south uh, route is Church Street. And uh, it would be very expensive to relieve that traffic on Tidewater Drive. And when I, when I say that, uh, we have a um, 
you know, project that's uh, being considered, you know, as far as demolition of uh, Tidewater Park and, um, you know, uh, some of Calvert Park. But this money is locally funded? No, most most of this money is not locally funded. Okay. Most of the ones that I've talked to you about yeah. don't even have a local match in them. Yeah, so... Um, and some do. Revenue sharing is yeah. a 50-50 match. I wonder how match, much it so. would cost to actually eight-lane Tidewater Drive. Oh, my goodness. You know, I mean, <laughs> you would have to, you know, pick and choose your acquisitions. Quite often, we own quite a bit of that. And, uh, but, I, I mean... We, have, we haven't addressed the fact that either traffic is going to um, diminish a little, but, I mean, Church Street can't handle it. Um, and, and Granby Street, you know, certainly can't handle it. And so I know it would be expensive. I'm talking about in the, the multi-millions of dollars in terms of acquisition and things of that nature. But what we plan to do just, you know, let, you know, let, our, let everybody suffer and just get in line and feel like we're in one of these big cities, or would we ever take a deep breath and, um, you know, try to eight-lane tire water drive? Well, that's certainly not a question for the transportation division that. to <laughs> make, but one so of these improvements is um, Tidewater. One of the things I noticed about Tidewater Drive that's different about some of our other roads is the lack of turn lanes. I know that two of them are being addressed in this but along that corridor, because I drive it every day to work, is there's no places for people and it holds up traffic. Yeah. So like even if you're trying to turn on Willowwood where the Sunrise Pizza Place is, there's no turn lane for right. people to pull into right. to get the Willowwood. So everybody's pulling off of a main uh, road mm -hmm. and it, it's not congested in the places where there are turn lanes or places to go. So we should be looking at smaller acquisitions in which yeah. we can put in places to tur put turn lanes in. I, I look over by Walmart mm -hmm. on Tidewater Drive, there's no way for cars to just pull off into a turn lane where they're going into, you have to turn from that lane mm -hmm. and then traffic just gets backed up. Yeah. Um, and that's such a heavily traveled corridor that when car stopping for three or four minutes will then make, make everything else back up. So we should be looking at that. And then also when we allow new restaurants or fast food places to come in, we should build that into, um, you know, it's tell them we, we have we need to take this piece mm -hmm. to put a turn lane in mm -hmm. uh, there. That's, a, that's absolutely right. And yeah. if you notice, Tidewater Drive and Brambleton intersection is a second left turn lane to turn what to turn east. And that's needed. That, that's, that's very uh, needed. That really is exactly sometimes. what you're talking about. Sure. You would be turning right towards Military Circle from Tidewater Drive if you were headed downtown. Okay. It'll be a second left turn lane because it does back up into the travel lanes and, and everyone that's just Tidewater and Brambleton. And that's one of these that's proposed in, in what I just went through. You all are doing your planning. Are you taking into account for future? I mean, autonomous vehicles sound like Jetson-like <coughs> concepts now, but I've read figures that by 2040, 50% of our cars are autonomous. So our traffic requirements in 20 years are going to be very different. And so I just—it's hard to balance because it seems like a crazy concept, but well, and there's not a lot of money. And we're very dependent on state and federal funding to help us do that. So, so we're just trying to deal with what we can do to make improvements, as you've talked about, turn lanes and 
safety improvements for pedestrians. So we're happy to do and look at. And complete street, that, that's uh, the, 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 the helpful. Yes, Thelma, could you uh, explain the continuous turning at, uh, because I go that way and I see all the construction and I I'm going to go back to that. I can't imagine it. Because I think you need to see it. That's and um, watching the video. The video is pretty good. The video is excellent. I haven't found that. Yet. It's right there. So what happens is today you're making that left turn from right in this intersection. Right. When this intersection opens, you're going to move over to the left before you get into this intersection from both directions. Mm -hmm. You'll move already over to the left through that traffic signal. So when you get into the intersection with Northampton, mm -hmm. the cars can go straight while you're making your left because you've already moved out of their way. It's that simple. You're out of their way when you make your left. So is it coming up off the ground? No. No, these are done at grade level. There's a special light that allows, that tells you when to go into that left. It's that this left light. And you're holding there. It's yeah. this light that puts you into that lane. And you're held there until the light turns green for them to go straight and for you to make your move. And these cars will all be stopped at that point. You have to see the video. <laughs> All right, so, so why don't you get us a link? Yeah. Yes, I do, I'm sorry, I do have a link. We, we could have put that in. So, I'll send it all to you right now. Okay, thank you. Oh, yeah, then watch it because it helps you see it. And here's Pete. Good afternoon, Mr. Mayor, Council Members, Mr. Ma Manager. Pete Garner from Public Works Operations. Just want to spend a couple of minutes here running through. It's the other one. Other way. It's backwards. It is. Yeah. Uh, pavement management program that we have in, in the city of Norfolk. We have about 2,200 lane miles of, of roads throughout the city, a mixture of as, asphalt, concrete, and, and other, as the Sunday paper showed. Um, and uh, we have quite a bit of a backlog as far as, as where we need to spend the money and, and, and get the roads where they need to be. And you see there are about uh, uh, 35 million in, in asphalt and about 19 million in concrete. Um, our current plans, how we are coming up with our program at this point, is we've been focusing on the arterial roads to try and get the main roads people travel the most up to, up to par. Uh, and we've been looking at uh, where complaints are, where claims are for the city attorney's office, uh, service requests, uh, where we get the most noise from the citizens is where, where we've been focusing our efforts on the, on the primary arterials. Um, and you can see in the, the next portion there that how much we spend per, per lane mile. Um, about 70000 per per resurfacing. Uh, and we've started a microsurfacing program here, which is about $25,000 per lane mile. Uh, and you can see the number of lane miles that we're covering. We've also been increasing in the last three years uh, the money we've been spending on concrete roads. Not much money has been going into that previously, and we've been making repairs uh, throughout the city, and hopefully you've noticed that. And we've got a lot of a lot more work to do, but uh, we're, we are making some some headway that way. And one thing we did last year, starting in uh, 2016, we we got state funding for primary extensions, and that was a million dollars of of totally state funded, zero local uh, funded uh, resurfacing. So that added another 14 lane miles that we could resurface. And how we plan for the future is uh, we're looking at a two to five year program in development. We contracted with Fugro, a, uh, a road um, uh, 
consultant, and we are getting we should be getting the data here pretty soon uh, that will back up. It'll basically tell us where we should be spending the money and how we should be spending the money for those roads, whether it's resurfacing or microsurfacing. We've been also working with uh, other departments and, and within Public Works to come up with an all-projects map that takes a look at all of the utility projects that are planned in the future and, and uh, franchise utility projects and the bike lanes where they're going and try and incorporate that all into one, one map that uh, can help us better coordinate our work in the future so we're not tearing up roads that we just resurfaced. Um, and as Thelma mentioned, ADA requirements, we, we are mandated to uh, improve our ADA uh, handicap ramps at all intersections that we microsurface or we resurface. So we have completed to date around 5,500 throughout the city, and we still have about 4,400 to go. And as we go through the neighborhoods and, and uh, resurface, we, you'll see these throughout that we are uh, incorporating ADA ramps. I have. Any questions for me? Okay. Thank Peter you. and Thelma, Ooh. thank you. I think um, uh, the message we want you to take, among others, is um, uh, a lot going on, and a lot of it being done in a very coordinated fashion and taking um, what are candidly limited resources and leveraging those with state and federal money to do the things you need to do. So you got a good team doing it. All right, uh, Mayor, with that, I would ask you to go into a closed session. Uh, to uh, discuss a real estate matter and a couple of legal matters. Mr. Clerk, with the members of council assemble and close meeting at 6 p.m. on May 23, 2017, uh, for the purpose of setting out a clause 3 and 7 of yeah. uh, section 2.2 of the Act. That is free discussion of the acquisition of real property for public purpose and ocean view. Seven consultation with legal counsel and briefings by staff members, consultants, or attorneys regarding legal matters associated with the courthouse construction, waterside, and federal communications regulations. Ms. Graves? Aye. Ms. Johnson? Aye. Ms. McClellan? Aye. Mr. Riddick? Aye. Mr. Smigel? Aye. Mr. Thomas? Aye. Dr. Whibley? Aye. Mr. Alexander? Aye. 